When darkness speaks a louder word Than the truth that we have heard We will fight to believe And remember You said it's finished, it is done And by your blood we've overcome We'll sing of all you've done And remember Oh, we remember And we'll not forget You are always with us We will not forget You are always for us We will not forget We will not forget you, God freedom we were nothing more than slaves you kept your promise and delivered us from chains you split the waters and your mercy was displayed we remember we remember you came to rescue we were lost and gone astray you died our death our sin was buried in the grave you rose to life, and you rolled the stone away. We remember, we remember, we remember, oh, we remember. And we will not forget, you are always with us. We will not forget, you are always for us. We will not forget, we will not forget you know we will not forget you are always with us we will not forget you are always for us we will not forget we will not forget you Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet? Let's find somebody and tell them good morning. With these hands, 
uplifted high Hear my song, hear my cry I will bring a sacrifice I will bring a sacrifice I lay me down, I'm not my Giving up all my rights, take this life and let it shine, shine, shine. Take this life and let it shine. I lay me down, I'm not my own. I belong to you alone. I lay me down, I'm not my 
Carpenter's Way. It is uh, great to see you this morning. Man, that is such a great song, but hard to live, huh? Did you think about what you just sang? Lay me down, lay me down. It's my joy to lay my life down for you and trust you. Boy, that, that is so hard to do. I think that's the battle of the, of the Christian life. You know, we, we like to talk about the battle with sin, but really the only reason we, in, we invest in our flesh is because we feel like we deserve that thing. We, we feel like we're owed that moment of sin that makes us feel good in our flesh. It never works out well for us, but, but it's, a, it's an issue of trust. And as we were singing that, I was just, I was just thinking that. That's, that's like a free message before the message. But, um, man, is God worthy of our trust? I, I, if, if you're here, you're watching online, um, I just ask you, if you don't know him or you're living for yourself, how's that working for you? I, I, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't work out. You can't get drunk long enough. You, you can't find enough partners you can't find enough self-pleasure to outplease the pain. And, and Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are laboring and working so hard, and I'll give you rest. Man, rest is found at Jesus' feet. Uh, if you are visiting with us, welcome. Uh, we are right now in, in still in the beginning of a 15-year process coming up over looking at the life of Jesus in chronological order from all four Gospels. It's not going to take us 15 years. It's more like 13. But... Um, we're just going through to find out who did Jesus re reveal himself to be to us from the scriptures. Not, not, a, not the Baptist Jesus, not the Methodist Jesus, not the Assemblies of God Jesus, uh, but who is he based upon scripture. And this morning we're going to be in, uh, in John chapter 2. We're all the way there, six weeks into our study. This is the seventh week. We're all the way into John chapter 2, so we're really moving along. And, uh, but I encourage you uh, to open your Bibles later and join us there. We're going to be going with Jesus and his newly minted disciples to a wedding in Cana. And uh, it's going to be a good time where Jesus serves as the wine steward at a drunken party. Now, I wanted to make sure I said that early so that some of you can already be offended. So go ahead and go ahead and be mad and get your, get your phones out. It'll be online because it is what it is. And uh, it's going to be a great time in the Word. Uh, and so <laughs> anyway, welcome. Uh, would you take your worship guides and open them? I have a few announcements I would like to make. There's ministry opportunities in here for you. Uh, Carpenter's Way is a discipleship-oriented church. In other words, what we do at its core is we disciple each other. We grow each other up in the knowledge and love of the Lord. From the earliest stages in life through middle school and high school, we have college ministry that goes on. Uh, Chad leaves and Sabrina leads in, at Angelina College and on Sunday morning. Our goal, our, our church, although this is a big old room and, and we have four to 500 people here every Sunday, the truth is that we get together outside of here to grow each other up in the knowledge of the Lord from the scriptures. And uh, we encourage you to participate in that. 
and you are either eating or you are feeding. And uh, so we continue to throw opportunities for you to serve out there. There is no retirement in the family of God. Uh, there are some ministry, there's some preschool and children's ministry opportunities highlighted this morning. Um, and it's not an every week thing. It's a schedule thing. So if you love kids and you want to grow them up in the knowledge of the Lord, if you get concerned about the next generation of Christians, we have the solution. Disciple them. Be involved. And uh, so there's some information in there about some, some needs and opportunities there to serve. Uh, other information in there um, um, that you can, you can look at. If you've been visiting or if this is your first time, I would sure love to meet you after the service today. And I'll be up front and get some courage. Uh, shake my hand. I want to meet you, pray with you, encourage you. If you're not a praying person, I'll pray for you, but we're, I'd love to meet you after the service. And after this message, you may have a few questions for me that I'd be glad to answer. Uh, and if you don't want to do it in person, it's jeff at cwbc.org. So that joke's getting old. I'm going to have to. It's chad at cwbc.org. See? You just change a few things and people think it's funnier. So, <laughs> all right. Hey, be praying for each other. We got the uh, prayer guide in here. So um, there's an Amazon meeting this afternoon at 4:30. Last month was our, our month of missions at Carpenter's Way, and we talked, highlighted um, lots of missions. Um, and after the service, we had like 13 mission organizations and individuals out there that you could go visit. And I want to thank you for staying. You guys stayed during the 11 o'clock hour, and you met some of our missionaries, and it was so amazing because every one of those mission groups you met. Uh, and you shook their hands and you learned about, every one of them we support financially as a church. How cool is that? Just by your regular giving, we, we support those ministries and those individuals. So thank you for your involvement in that, and uh, thank you for staying. We're looking forward to next year's uh, in the month of February. I believe we're going to do it again because we want to keep that in front of you. Um, I'm going to ask at this time our ushers to come forward at this time, and we're going to pray together uh, for our service today. Again, if you're watching online, uh, grab your Bible. We want you to join us in our study of John 2 this morning, the wedding at Cana. And uh, if you are visiting with us today or you're old carpenter's way, we're so glad you're here. I, you know, when we start the service, there's like eight people in here. By the time I come up for announcements, it's like, hey, there's, there's my family. <laughs> so you might want to be here a little earlier. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can get together here every Sunday and enjoy each other and enjoy you and and. Man, this is such a hopeful message this morning. This is such a, uh, man, it, well, we'll get there in a few minutes. Thank you, Father, for the gathering of your kids. And uh, Lord, thank you for how you provide for us financially with our stewardship of our lives as we serve in this place and we serve others. Lord God, I ask you this morning to bless us. There are folks in our church family that are sick in our home. They may be watching online. They may be in bed or in a hospital, but we pray you be with them. I pray for our missionaries this morning that are spread throughout this county and throughout the globe that you would bless them. I pray for those in this room, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and transform us from the inside out. Make us different, Father, as we understand you more. I thank you for our worship team this morning that's going to usher us into your presence. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bless those who give of their finances. Um, thank you for how you've provided for the past 20-plus years, and you're going to continue to pr provide. And we just ask you to bless our time this morning. And thank, Father, for loving us and sticking with us even when we don't stick with you. Jesus' name.
offering play passes, and you guys are more than welcome to stand and worship with us. Oh, I heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. Who I am. 
we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy.
I just, man, I just love that song. Chad, you wrote that a bunch of years ago, right? A few years ago. I, that, when, and now, I know that this is probably not why you wrote it, Chad, but when I hear that, I just, I know I've told you this before, but, you know, a lot of life is mundane. It's, it's going to work. It's raising your kids. It's marrying off your kids. It's all that stuff, the mundane things of life. You, you, you keep rolling. You keep, you keep doing your deal, and you don't see God all the time. I mean, you just don't. Let, let's be honest. You don't see him there. You, you pray. You, even if you pray every day, God, do this. God, help me here. God, give me strength. If you're honest, there's a lot of times he doesn't show up the way you expect him to. And I think that really sets a good context for our story. We don't, Chad and I don't get together and, and, and write the worship songs. But this is such a good place to start because every once in a while in your life, God shows up in such big ways that you go, there you are. There you are. I see you there, God. Oh, thanks for reminding me. I, I, I just think that because of the way we're raised in the church and because of the way we teach these stories often, um, we, we forget. I think we really saw this concept in David's life, the years he spends in the cave just doing the deal and, and all that stuff. I think that we think that God, for the faithful man and woman of God, shows up every day. And he does show up. He is there providing for us, directing us, guiding us. But I'm talking in those big ways that we long for him to show up. But when he does, that happened to me, I want to say either last week or the week before. I'm telling you what, there were four or five things. I knew I should have prayed for a billion dollars because every prayer I prayed, he'd answered. I told Julie that. I told Julie that this weekend. I was talking with Zach and Hannah and Julian, and she said, well, that would have been the end of your answered prayer right there because he's not going to give you a billion dollars. I think it's a lack of faith, and now you know why I'm not a millionaire. But, but the truth is, it was crazy. I was praying for these things, and man, I prayed that God would bless somebody because it was his birthday. I, I, I really, rarely don't pray things. Somebody's been going through a difficult time, and I just said, God, would you just please, just, just if you would just do something. And man, he did something special. It blew their mind. Blew my mind. I'm like, God's like that, isn't he? Walking away going, God's great. There you are. There you are. We've lost our wonder, okay? We've lost our wonder. And I, not wonder, wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R. We've lost our um, being perplexed at God. We have lost our ability to go, whoa, I forgot. And for those of us who are reading through the Bible in the app, we are in Deuteronomy going, what's going on? I thought Leviticus was crazy. I mean, you are declaring people unclean just because of the way they are. And it's incredible that you realize, wow, there's no, you, you actually get frustrated. Lydia Spellings and I were talking about this morning. You're like, you're like, come on, God, you're expecting too much. And then you catch yourself going, but he's God. He can expect more. 
And then you realize, remember the conversation Jesus has with his disciples after the rich young ruler walks away, and the disciples are going, well, who can, who can be saved then? And Jesus said, with, with man, it's impossible. Oh, even you know it. He goes, yeah, that's why I came. He's so good. He loves you so much. He has provided everything you could ever possibly want or need, not want. We want a lot of stuff. Anyway, that's, that's not this morning's message either. That's free. <laughs> there we go. So we, we are at the next event in Jesus' life. For those of you who, who are just coming in, uh, we are looking at the life of Jesus from all four Gospels in chronological order. We find ourselves in the seventh week, and, and uh, I realized this week that as we have archived these, we've just kind of put, uh, who is this man? And we haven't really, some of them have Scripture on them. I'm going to start naming them so that you know what story we're at, so you can kind of go back. This is a great story. I've always loved the story of the, of the wine, uh, Jesus turning water into wine in Cana. I love this story, but not for the reasons I loved it this week. This is not a story about alcohol, and unfortunately, the church's obsession with sex and alcohol for all these years has ruined so much of the scriptures. This is not about alcohol, so take a deep breath. And I just want to tell you, if you think that that wine was non-alcoholic, I'm going to blow your mind this morning, or you're going to leave offended either way. I'd rather you give before you leave angry, but just take a breath. We are going to Scripture to discover what Scripture says about this guy, not what the Baptists say. We are going to Scripture to discover what God says about himself, Jesus, what he says about himself, not what the assemblies of God say, not what the Mormons say, not what the Methodists or Catholics or the Jehovah's Witnesses. What does Jesus say about himself? And that's why we go back to the Scripture. That's why we obsess over the Scripture, and I beg of you to obsess over it. For those of you going through the Bible in a year with me, both of you that are left, just keep going. That feeling that you have, I actually think is part of it. I think it's part of the frustration the Jews must have felt. I told Julie uh, last week, I said, I would not have wanted to be a priest in the family of the Levites back then. Too many things. I mean, you've got blood all over you all the time. You must have stunk on your fingernails. Oh, that's a priest. How can you tell? His fingers are red. They're stained. So many sacrifices all the time. Why? Because we kept screwing up. And so the sacrifices would make you clean so you could worship right up until that afternoon when you got to fight with your wife again and you had to do it all over. And that's why Jesus came. Man, as we, as we move towards Easter and everybody indulges, it's Tuesday, Mardi Gras. So Tuesday, it's what Tuesday? Trove Tuesday. Fat Tuesday, that's right, Fat Tuesday. When we lived up north, there were a lot of Portuguese and they had punchkies. Have you heard of a punchki? So basically it's a donut that they fill with jelly and jams and prune. Um, boy, I guess you can eat prune on Fat Tuesday because you can't eat anything else for the next 40 days. But, but the truth is, uh, I, I want think about the philosophy of Mardi Gras. I just, I, you know, I know you, some of you enjoy it, but it's basically indulge in your flesh because you're going to give it up to God for the next 40 days. I hope we love Him so much that we give everything up to Him anyway. It's kind of a twisted Christian holiday. It's like indulge so you can stop indulging to prove how sincere you are. Kind of weird. That's like your kids telling you off the week before your birthday, but telling you they really love you on your birthday, then they go back to normal life. I, don't, I, just, I just think it's kind of twisted, and it's okay if you like the little cake with a baby in it. That's weird too, but I digress. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. The next day, did you say again, Pam? You can't say anything. Joel, control her for the rest of the service. That's a joke, you guys lighten up. I love this story, you can tell. Okay, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. This is in the first plus 12 in history, right there. Jesus grew up here. Cana is next to Nazareth, we believe. We don't exactly know, but it's close there. How do we know? Because his mom was invited, he was invited, and they told him he could invite his friends. It's, uh, we'll get into the wedding in a second, but the, but the disciples by default are invited. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. <laughs> yep. He was still somebody's boy, wasn't he? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come, verse 5. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. She was his mother. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everybody's had a lot to drink, that's why we know it's alcoholic. Use your brain. Don't use your pastor's brain. Use your brain. When they had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. That's called economy. That's smart. Why? Because everybody's a little buzzed. More on that in a minute. But you've actually kept the best until now. That's how Jesus rolls. More on that in a few minutes. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Wow. What an interesting place to be this week with my son getting married next Saturday. There will be no alcohol because they can't afford it. And Jesus is not going to show up to turn water into wine. That's a good chance for me to remind you that on the 23rd of March, you're all invited to reception. You don't have to bring a gift. Just come hug their neck. Many of you are responsible for the mess that is my son because you helped us raise him. That's what churches do, and we thank you for it. We uh, lived most of our married life, and most of our life we have not lived in the South. Just let me say something really great about you. You know how to care for people. The number of you that have said, we're going to throw a party, uh, we're going to do this, we're going to help you with that, the, the people that are driving across the state to help us throw receptions and the rehearsal dinner, you're amazing, and thank you for loving us. I, I can't say it enough. We love you back. It is a privilege to live here. Um, my biggest fear has always been you get tired of me, but it doesn't seem to be happening, so you're stuck now, but we love you, and I just want you to know how much you mean to me. Uh, my brother and his wife do work here uh, are, are doing more work here with Angelina College and all, and the more they come to the South, the more they love it. And I wouldn't be surprised if someday they, they move here. And despite the humidity, the love bugs and the mosquitoes, it's a great place to live. Don't, I, I hope you appreciate it. It's a great place to live. Um, thank you. I want to begin again before I pray for um, God's wisdom here. That the, I want to remind you that this story actually isn't about weddings. It's, it's not about wine. It's not about how Mary can get Jesus to do anything she asks. It's not uh, even about obeying your mom when you don't feel like it. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. That's what it's about. 
And if we can step out of our stained glass windows and our, our, you know, our, our cartoonish characterizations of these things and our foolish debates on alcohol in the church and actually look at this story, it's, it's pretty darn remarkable. Because you'll learn a lot as we keep going now into the ministry of Jesus. You will look, learn a lot about him, not just by what he says. Instead, of, In fact, for the disciples, most of his teaching was perplexing and confusing. But if you watch what he does, you will learn why he does it and what his core value was. And that's really cool. Um, Father, uh, I'm in a really good mood this morning, which means the potential for me making some stupid statement is real, and I pray that you would keep us on task. I pray that you would keep us on point. I pray that we would hear how crazy about us you are from this story. Satan has distracted us with ridiculous discussions on this. We need to be on point this morning, so put us on point. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 2, verse 1, the beginning of it says, The next day, unless you're reading any other version but the New, Test the New Living Translation, which is what I'm using this morning. So I want to clarify it here, that the Greek actually infers that this is three days later. It infers that um, because uh, those are friends who translated the New Living Translation. Remember that, and, and you remember or know, that understand that, it, that, that translations, if you know Spanish, you know it's like this. When you translate from a foreign language into English or English into a foreign language, it isn't like you take one word and equal it. That's, that's not how language works. There is not a, a, a communication number of things. There's, there's concepts. And the concept actually makes both of these true. You remember um, that, our, uh, uh, that Jesus' baptism from the Holy Spirit uh, when he was, Jesus was baptized by John, and then the Holy Spirit came and sat upon him, and then the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40-some days to be tempted, and then he's ministered to by the angels, and after that period of time, Jesus comes back, and he walks into the crowd where John is preaching, and John declares him the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is immediately following that, it says the next day, John are Jesus, uh, some, uh, some of John's followers follow Jesus, two of them, and then Jesus starts calling disciples to himself. So he begins to get his group together of the, what we will know as the disciples, and then immediately after that, they take off for Cana from Bethany, which is about a two-day journey, which lands them at this wedding. Our brothers and sisters who translated into English the New Living Translation are talking about how the next day that wedding party started. The brothers and sisters who translated the other versions of the Bible are saying three days later because that's how long it took them to get there. Or on the third day, another thing, it's on the third day because you have John saying, there's the Lamb of God. The second day is Jesus, Jesus uh, calling some of the disciples to follow him. And this is the third day, so they start heading over to the wedding. Either way, they're both right. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and the disciples were also invited to the celebration. I don't want you to miss the bigness of this because it really tells you why they're here and what the point is. This story alone reveals the underlining philosophy of Jesus' ministry. It's about people. It's about people. We can learn about what Jesus values not just by how he teaches, the doctrinal truths we can glean from it, but actually how he interacts with folks. And, and I, I want to remind you 
that ministry, real ministry, is not about morality. It's not about preaching. It's not even gathering large groups of impressive numbers and getting folks to do what you want them to do. It's about people, real relationships. Jesus did not love on people as a way to get them to become his followers. Jesus loved on people because he loved people. I know that sounds stupid, but I want you to breathe and think about it. Too often, churches, for instance, develop ministries, welcoming ministries of the friendliest people in the flock so the people's first impressions are love in a flock. If a church isn't loving, you shouldn't put it on a billboard and pretend that's true. Love is a characteristic of what the Holy Spirit does on the inside. Love is the character with which, it is the core value with which Jesus does ministry. It's the core value with which we should do ministry. We should share Christ with people, not because that's our mandate, but because we love them enough not to want them to live under condemnation. Do you understand? Jesus' very first thing he does with these disciples, this is the bigness in it. Jesus' very first thing, he's baptized. The Holy Spirit rests on him. He goes to the wilderness. I mean, he is neck deep in life now. For the first 30 years of his life, he's hanging out being somebody's boy and somebody's boss and somebody's carpenter. He's just doing the deal. Then all of a sudden, at 30 years, he's told by the Father, I want you to go over and be baptized by John. He shows up. He says to John, you need to baptize me. John wants to wrestle with him. You don't need to be baptized. Jesus says, I have to do everything my Father told me. He's taken out. He baptizes him. As soon as he's baptized, you hear from the Father, says, this is my beloved son. I'm so proud of my boy. And the Holy Spirit comes down, and they see him, and he descends like a dove. And it says he rests on him, just like Isaiah prophesied would happen. Rests on him, stays with him. And the Holy Spirit, it says, just as he comes up out of the water, remember this, Zach preached it, that just as he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one, by Lucifer, the jerk of eternity. Hate Lucifer. Hate his ways. We're supposed to love everyone. He's an exception. His whole life is committed to deceiving you and getting us to do stupid things that are self-destructive. Don't buy into his lie. For 40 days he spends time in the wilderness while Satan is deceiving him, trying to deceive him, tempt him, and Jesus doesn't sin. He stands up using the word of God despite his hunger, it says. After that, the angels minister to him. And then he goes back to Galilee. He goes back to, to, uh, he goes back to where, Bethany where John is baptizing. And, John, or, uh, and he's preaching. And he, and he says, there's the Lamb of God. And then he pulls the, some of his merry men together, his boys we call the disciples. They're pulled together. And you would think that after that they would go to preaching. But Jesus had one more lesson for them. He had one more thing to do. This problem, weddings. Weddings in biblical times were community events. Jesus was invited to this wedding because he was part of a community. And he could have been off to preaching. He could have been off to doing what he's supposed to do. But relationships are at the core of Jesus' life. And this should not surprise us because John 3.16 says this. You're very familiar with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Look at verse 17, though. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus came. He was sent by the Father to go get people, to meet with people, to spend time with people. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those that are lost. 
we shouldn't be surprised that a priority of Jesus' ministry in his life was to be with people because that's what he was sent to do. Jesus was not sent to start a church. He was not sent to, to create a movement. He came to save people. That's what he was, came to do. And that saving people comes out of God's love for people. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to seek and save the lost. That's why he did. Love is a characteristic. It's an attribute of God about how he feels. Because of that, and because we understand, at least philosophically, that real ministry is founded on real relationships with real people, after his baptism, and I know this is the third time I've saved it, I said it, after his baptism, which was huge, and his wilderness temptations, which was huge, and choosing some of his disciples, which is huge, Jesus takes his new traveling band of ministers to a party. He takes them to a party, and he's even late at the event. Weddings at this time were week-long events. They would happen for a week. They were community-wide events with it being common to actually invite your whole city. So it is reasonable to believe that in the near town of Cana, the whole city of Nazareth, if you could call it that, all of Zavala was invited, everyone, every person, which is why it says Jesus and his disciples were invited because he was invited and bring your 12 friends. Come on, bring them on. And they come. This week-long celebration begins with the wedding ceremony itself. At which time, after they are declared husband and wife, after an extended betrothal period, the couple goes off into a room prepared for them by the father to consummate the marriage. When the marriage is consummated, and I know we would never do this in the West, it is declared by the father of the groom, it is finished. Are you thinking? Sounds familiar? What's the first thing we're going to do after God takes and makes all things new? The marriage supper of the Lamb. It's finished. The blood's been shed. If you could not gross out for a minute in our over-sexualized society, you realize that there's a connection between what happens with us and the Lord and what is happening here. It's a wedding. You are not, you, if you have been married once, you will be married twice, and this will be your temporary one. You're going to marry the groom. You're going to enjoy him. He went to prepare a place for you. It's for you, the groom, the one he... He's a, or the bride, the one he loves and adores. Back to this story. After they would consummate their marriage, there would be a huge wedding feast. After the wedding feast, it would kick off a week-long celebration of new family with food and wine, enough for everyone in the whole city, a celebration that people took off. Verse 3, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told them they have no more wine. I love what that sentence tells us about Jesus' family. First, it tells us that Mary was a caring participant of her community. We don't really know a lot about Mary. We know how she felt. We know what the Scripture tells us about her role as the mother of Jesus. But we don't know a lot about her, but this tells you a lot. You know, the nature of man is to go to an event like that and see it fall apart, and you kind of celebrate it. <laughs> That'll never happen at our wedding. Because this was a shameful event. To run out of food or wine at a wedding, a community event, that was embarrassing. That would have put a dark cloud over that family forever. It would have been shameful. We have no idea, no matter what you've been taught, whether or not Mary was a leader in the planning of the event. I actually believe there's more evidence that she wasn't because they had a wedding planner. He's the guy who tastes the wine and, give, and goes to the bridegroom and says, what did you do? You were holding out on me. That's exactly what he says. Mary actually jumps into gear. 
She obviously is close to the people that are throwing this wedding, or at least she cares enough about their reputation to help them and not ridicule them for their lack of planning. She's a good woman. I know we're not Catholic. Some of you grew up Catholic, but let me be clear. We have let the pendulum swing too far of the women of Scripture. Mary deserves our respect. She's an amazing lady, and you see her compassion here. I've seen the character of Mary and many of you as we plan this wedding. You're the real deal, man. I can't say enough how much you mean to our family. As I was thinking about Mary this week, it wasn't a foreign concept because of you. Be proud you're from the South. The quality of relationships, the desire you have to take care of each other, it is something to be admired. If you're watching on the Internet this morning and you're not part of a local church, I've got to tell you something. You might be saved, but you are missing the beauty of the body. We are screwy and we mess up and we offend each other and we are gossipy at times, but at the end of the day, we stand as a family. And I've seen that. So thanks. I'll stop thanking you now. Till next week. But to be truthful with you, I saw that in Mary. She's a good woman and deserves respect. She's a southern gal. The second thing that it pointed out to me was that it's probably true at this point that the tr traditional teaching, and by traditional I mean predominantly Catholic, the traditional teaching about the life of Joseph is probably true. He's probably dead at this time. Or he's abandoned her, and that doesn't seem to be his character. How do we know that? Because if the husband has left the firstborn son, so remember that Jesus isn't just the Lord, he's a firstborn son as well. The firstborn son bears the responsibilities or concerns of the mother. In other words, no matter what her concerns are, she would turn to her right where Jesus would be, and she would say, hey, I have this problem. And it is not his job to decide whether it's a valid problem or not. It's his job to obey her to solve her problems, and that's what you have here. You have a mother whose husband is no longer available to her, I believe by death. He's gone. So now those of you who lost a father at a young age, understand that your Savior also can sympathize with that. He knows what it's like to grow up fatherless and the responsibility that comes with that. Run to him. But in this story, she just turns to him as a normal Jewish mom does, and she presents to him a problem. According to verse 11 of this story, turning water into wine is the first miracle that Jesus performs. It says in the New Living Translation that he reveals his glory. In every other translation, it says it's his first miracle. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we have no reason to believe that Mary ever even expected him to turn water to wine. She just presented a problem to him. Hey, this family's run out of wine. And in Jesus' traditional response, he says something crazy. Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. Now, for some of you who have raised a young man, that does sound similar when you ask your son to mow the neighbor's lawn, let them mow their own lawn. That's kind of this, but that's not, mom, it's not our party. Mom, it's not our responsibility. That's another reason I believe that Mary wasn't the stewardess at the party, because Jesus is saying it's not our responsibility. Then he goes on and he says, my time not, has not yet come. This is not the first time Jesus says something crazy, and I'll argue Mary didn't understand. For when Jesus was 12 years of age, you'll remember from Luke 2, that Jesus stayed behind when Mary and Joseph started heading back after, after the celebration in Jerusalem. They're heading back. They're a day into their journey, and they realize that night that little Yeshua is no longer with them. So Mary panics and travels, and on the third day returns to the temple, and there's Jesus talking with the religious leaders. In Luke 2, this is the conversation. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Jesus responds. Why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? <laughs> That's not funny to you? 
you just smacked a smile off your kid's face. You are southern women. Actually, verse 50 is interesting. It says they didn't understand what he meant. You see, there's a lot of things that Jesus is going to say and you're going to learn in the next 15 years. Jesus says that people don't follow. And they get so accustomed to not understanding, they kind of run over him. They just kind of move on. And I, I think that that's what Mary does here. But before we get there, this is kind of an interesting statement. After sharing Jesus, the problem of the wine at this wedding, and hearing his weird divine response, I get the feeling that she kind of just stares at him like, what are you talking about? Not our problem? I made it our problem. Or time hasn't come. What is up with that, Yeshua? What are you talking about? A side note about that. There's going to be five more times in the book of John where Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And then, towards the end of the book, there's going to be three times that Jesus says, my time has in fact come, and it's going to talk about his crucifixion. On a side note, to be clear, Jesus came to fulfill a plan. He's on task. He's on schedule. He has a mission, and he's about to do exactly what he had been sent to do. Mary has no clue about all that, doesn't understand it, hasn't been informed. Jesus' response to her was to let the world know this is not part of that. But I think Mary, as a traditional mother, did exactly what you do when you tell your kids to do something and they don't want to do it. She rolled her eyes and ignored him. Verse 5, her mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's okay to laugh. That's exactly what moms do. It's like, looks at the servants and says, do what he wants you to do. Again, we have no reason at all to believe she expected him to do a miracle. She'd never seen him do one before. She just wanted him as her firstborn son to do what he's supposed to do and fix whatever problem he pre she presents to him. And in this particular case, it's no wine at her friend's wedding, and she asked him to deal with it. So Jesus does. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washings. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. For those of you reading through the Bible with me this year on the app, you know that a big, what a big deal ceremonial cleansings are. That's what these were for. Uh, you, could, you were declared unclean if you touched a dead body, for instance. You would be declared unclean if you touched the blood of somebody that was injured. You would be declared unclean, ladies, for seven days after your time of the month. Lots of unclean. And so you would go through a ceremonial cleansing. What, why is this important to this? I've heard you, those of you who've studied this have heard pastors wax eloquent about this a lot. I think it just simply points out that this was an extremely religious family. They stood with the Mosaic law. I do think it's kind of cool, though, that Jesus is about to take what an Old Testament cleansing mechanism that didn't permanently solve their spiritually dirty problem and does something new and unexpected with it. Is this a precursor to everything he's going to do? Just like he'll do with the old temple that only offered temporary relief from sin when he said, I'm going to destroy this and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And he does something amazing when that veil in the temple is ripped in two. I would encourage you for Fat Tuesday, while you're eating that donut you shouldn't eat or whatever, read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus again because we're going to fixate this Christmas on that veil being ripped in two. It's an amazing, it's an amazing declaration by God to us. So Jesus takes those old ceremonial jars and has them fill them with water, verse 7 says. Jesus tells the servants, Fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, 
Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Do you ever wonder what they were thinking at the time? I don't know what this has to do with wine. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, so there's a guy who's running this event for the week, a wedding planner. For those of you who do that for a living, congratulations. It's an old trade. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, <laughs> not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, who right now are like dipping in with straws, he called the bridegroom over. He didn't even have an inkling to talk to Jesus. He didn't know he did it. So he calls the bridegroom over. Why? Because he's the one who's paying for this event. A host always serves the best wine first. He said, then everyone who's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you've kept the best until now. Again, in case your mind has been clouded by the church's obsession with alcohol, and by the way, I'm not a fan of alcohol either, unless it's NyQuil, or my grandmother's whiskey that she would pour on my leg when it hurt, or a little shot of a hot toddy if you've got a fever, or a shot of wine if you're stressed. Just so you know, more people will die this year of heart, cardiac disease than alcoholism, but the church seems to be okay with that. We don't ever say stop eating. Can we just wake up? The pendulum doesn't have to swing all the way. If you can't handle alcohol or your family's got alcoholism, don't worry about it. Don't drink. Stay away from it. Why would you be so stupid? If you're male, you shouldn't go into strip joints even though you say you're not going to touch. It's foolish. We live as idiots today. Wake up. Be wise. Live by the Holy Spirit. We keep doing this weird thing, and this story has been robbed of us because of an obsession with alcohol. It wasn't grape juice. There were no grapes involved. We don't even know what flavor this wine was. It was watered-flavored wine. What we do know is it was the best. How do we know that? Because the wine steward wouldn't have said what he did if it wasn't alcoholic. Everybody after two or three or four days into a wedding... They don't care about the quality of the wine. They care about the quantity of the wine. Have you watched Fiddler on the Roof? Have you read what happens when we get to heaven? No, you haven't. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, you're going to have seven glasses of wine, my Baptist liver-shy friends. Fortunately, your new body has been worn in and you won't be drunk. But there is seven glasses of wine there. And there's going to be a lot of Assembly of God Pentecostal Baptists going, there's alcohol in here. And he goes, well, your other option is not to drink the wine. Wake up. It's the best stuff I've seen. Why would you do that? In, in the history of weddings, nobody but Jesus has ever provided the best wine if it lasts. Man. It's pretty incredible, and I want you to listen to me for a second. How many of you grew up with the King James? Verily, verily, I'm about to say something important. <laughs> Mary, I really believe, I can't prove this, doesn't really expect Jesus to do a miracle. She does, however, expect him to go to town and get wine. She expects him to solve this. That, your job, Joe, is, or Jesus, is, Yeshua, is, is go take care of this. Jesus, of course, as he often does, does the unexpected. We expect him to turn water into wine because you've heard this story since you were 10. The, the truth is, 
we often take our concerns to God in the same way Mary does. We look at him and we say, hey, Jesus, I have this problem. And we usually even know what the best possible solution for God to solve our problem is. And we usually tell him what he should do about the problem we take to him. Am I right? Father, I was diagnosed with cancer, and it would sure be nice if you would take the cancer away or they could cut it out. And then there's no, we, we tell God what to do. But if you have walked with God more than six weeks, one of the things you learn pretty quickly is God has his own way of doing things, things we can't even imagine or expect. And you know, the truth is, his ways actually always do work out best. Always, 100% of the time. This wine, Jesus just made out of water, not grapes, it was the best wine at the wedding. Whatever your need may be, my encouragement to you this morning is take it to Jesus because, well... He will do something about it, most likely out of the way that you expected him to. But whatever he does, I assure you, at the end of time, you will look back and say, wow, this is the best stuff ever. What made you do it that way? I asked you to do it a different way. It will be the best wine for your life because that's how Jesus rolls. Take your concerns to Jesus. Whether you understand all the things he is going to do or even what he's capable of. I'd like to say that I think Mary knows that this is the Messiah. I think that she remembers what, what, uh, what Anna and Simeon told her. I think she remembers the words of the angel. She remembers what Jesus told her at 12 years of age. She remembers all that stuff, the stuff Elizabeth said. She remembers her prayer to the Father. I just don't think, like us, she has any clue of the ramifications of that on her life or our life or what that will look like. I think she's just a mom raising a kid that's somehow God, doing the best she can, and she's treating him exactly like we treat him today. We don't know how to treat him differently, and I want you to understand that God's okay with that because he's got this amazing plan that does weird things like turning water to wine. But too often, we do lean on our own understanding, even knowing that God does things like turn water to wine. And I want you to know that the same God that solved his mother's problem is available to you and will solve your problem, whether he does it the way you see, perceive, expect or not, he'll do his own thing. And I assure you at the end of days, we will look back and we will go, wow, wow, how did you do that? And he'll say, I'm God. I take water in ceremonial jars of cleansing and I turn it into wine. If you want to know how impacting this was, look at verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and most of your texts say the first miracle. And his disciples believed in him by this. The Greek infers that as a result of this miracle, they believed in him. Well, they started following him the week before. I thought they already believed in him. This is when they say, I see you, God. Chad saw us. I see you there. You see, they... They had heard John the, the baptizer say, this is the Lamb of God, and they believed John, and they had seen, they had heard the voice of the Father, and they kind of remember this dove-like thing floating down, but now that it's three days later in a long walk, maybe I don't remember it like it was. You ever feel like that? Maybe things were a little different a few days ago. Whoa, he just turned water to wine. He just fixed this. What is going on? All Jesus had said to them days before is, follow me. Come check me out. I'm the guy you were reading about, Nathaniel. Come check me out. 
And this is the first checking of events. This is the first validation. This is the first moment that they see his glory. And what they saw that day was God go to a wedding and mingle with his childhood friends, and they got to meet them. You know, most of them weren't from here. In fact, none of them were. Jesus is introducing them around. Hey, meet my friends. This is my mother, Mary. Nice to meet you, boys. Jesus, we're out of wine. He's introducing them around. They were introduced to, as you say in the South, Jesus' people. Do you know why Jesus doesn't go on the preaching road yet? Because he never forgets his people. And ministry always starts with your people. You can get in a plane today and you can go to Africa, but if you haven't ministered to your own children and your own husband and your own wife or your mom or your dad, don't go to Africa. Don't go to Africa. Go to your people. Oh, I don't have a relationship with my people because they drink too much. How dare your pastor tell you to stop ministering to those people? Well, the only time I can catch them is at the bar. Drink coffee. You don't have to drink alcohol. Ooh, I hate beer. Get one of those girly drinks. They're like slushies only with a shot of alcohol. You don't even have to drink it. Just order it. What will people think? The only people that are going to have a problem with it are your stuck-up Christian friends. And you're not there reaching them for Christ anyway. Jesus was the bartender at this party. I told you I'd offend you. Again, please send your emails to chad at cwbc.org. You, you can twist it, turn it, pretzel yourself. And I, 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 just, I just want to remind you of something. If you are using freedom and grace to sin, you're not walking with God anyway. So we should not be changing the message of grace and freedom and hope for people who are going to take advantage of it. That's between you and God. My job as your pastor is tell you, you need to be on task. And you need to love people more than you love yourself. And you need to love them more than you love your morality. And that means if you live in the neighborhood with a gay couple, you need to have them for dinner. <gasps> what will my kids think? We love gay couples. What will people think? Probably the same of you that they thought of Jesus, that you're the friend of sinners. Well, that will filter out my Christian friends. We need to reevaluate the term Christian. Seriously. Jesus went to this wedding not because it was going to be a spiritual event, but because that's where his people were. He loves people. That's what this is about. And his disciples needed to see him loving people. And while he's at it, they needed to see what he was capable of. This, was about, this wasn't about the, the wine steward getting saved. It wasn't about the alcohol at the wedding. It wasn't even about blowing his mother's mind. We don't even know if she saw this. Do you know that? It doesn't tell us that she believed. It doesn't tell us she saw it. It says the disciples and the stewards, the, the, the servants saw it. That's all we know. And what we know is that when they saw that, they went, we picked the right team. That's going to end in about two weeks, just so you know, thinking they picked the right team. But they're high-fiving each other going, imagine what this road show is going to look like. This is an incredible story, isn't it? It's about the love of God for people he grew up with just like you. You have a love-hate relationship with the people you grew up with. That's why you rent better cars for the annual reunion of your class at Lovekin High, 1965. Problem is, you live in the same community. They see your old Toyota every other day of the week. I've learned something since being here for 14 years. You can badmouth your family, but I don't dare. I know you can't hear online, but they just amen me. It is what it is. These are his people. And he's taking his new people to meet his old people, and he's showing them what ministry looks like. That's all this is about. And when they saw it, they believed. 
because they saw for a second something that nobody else could ever do. He turned a ton of water into a ton of wine. And he didn't worry for a second that 2,000 years later there'd be a debate in the church over whether or not there was enough time for the grape juice to turn into wine. How stupid have we become in the church, friends? I'd never heard that until I moved to the South. Then I heard the official name for it. It's called Jesus Juice. It's non-alcoholic wine because certainly he wouldn't do alcoholic wine. And when I asked a pastor who was in my face about this over it, he said, well, the reason is there wasn't enough scientific time for the water to turn to wine. And I went, so just to be clear, there was enough time for it to turn from water to grape juice, but not grape juice to alcohol. At which time he got mad and left. But that's a different discussion. It's true. Think, 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 think. God is not obsessed over alcohol like the church is. He's obsessed over people. He's obsessed over showing his glory. He's obsessed over saying, you got a problem, you bring it to me, and I probably won't answer it the way you want me to. But 30 seconds, even if you die of the cancer you want to be cured from, 30 seconds after your death, I'm going to show you something that will blow your mind. Trust me. And the disciples would need to remember this their whole life because what Jesus was going to do was going to be unexpected. People would leave all the time. They would abandon him. They would say his teaching is hard. Even the disciples would say, what are you talking about? This makes no sense to us. And Jesus is going to just look at them and say, are you going to leave? I'm not going to leave. Why, Peter? Because you're the only one who offers eternal life. And, and Jesus is going to say, good for you. Then keep following me. That's, that's Jesus-ish for quit asking and follow. And that's my message to you this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he's a water, a wine-turning water guy? Do you believe that he created all this in a word? Do you believe that he redeemed you? Then shut up and follow. There's a lot of us debating. There's a lot of debate in the South again. I, I can't believe it over Calvinism versus Arminian. Can I just be clear? God isn't a Calvinist or an Arminian. He's himself. Who cares? Well, I refuse to worship a God who chooses those who follow. Then don't and walk away. But it's free will. I don't understand the two, and you never will. When you understand turning water to wine, then you can figure out the deep theological truths of Scripture. Until then, follow Him. Run to Him, my friends. Life is hard. It's scary. You run out of wine at weddings. Things freak you out. Go to Jesus. Well, he doesn't answer in quick enough time. He's answering. He's answering, my friends. He's just answering in a way that's going to blow your mind when it's finally answered. We have to learn to trust Him. The reason I think this is centered on relationships is because of what happens in verse 12. After the wedding, Jesus gets on the road again and He preaches. Look what He does. He takes His merry men, who have just seen Him turn to water to wine, who are now believers, and for a few days He goes with His mother and His brothers, who, by the way, are not believers at that time. His brothers, not His mother. His brothers ridicule Him for about half of His ministry. In fact, we don't know that they ever become followers of Jesus until after his death, and history tells us that. But more on that later. But he goes for a few days with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they spend time together. Hey, boys, you need to meet my people so you know who I am. Well, to know who he is, it's God's son. Yes, but he's still Mary's son. He wants them to know him. He wants them to know them. He wants to spend time together. And so they go. Why? Because ministry starts at home. Ministry starts at home. Ministry starts at home. And then you're going to learn that there's a time to leave home. You do the best you can, and then you move on. We'll talk about that later. 
If you're in an abusive situation, you try to minister and you move on if they don't change. I'm not saying stay in abuse. I don't mean physical abuse, verbal abuse. There's a time to move on. Jesus is going to move on. And then his family's going to show up later and they're going to start saying, hey, they, you're, you, remember the story? Your brothers and your mother are here. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? It's these, these followers. And he finishes his ministry and then he goes out ministering. He goes and talks to his family, brothers and sisters. Jesus' core is loving people. He doesn't love people as a means to present the gospel to them. He genuinely loves them, which is why he presents the gospel to them. And so too should we. If you want to fill up Carpenter's Way seats, fill it up with people you love, straight and gay, adulterers and murderers alike. That's why we have security here. It is. I know you're laughing, but it is. You're welcome here. Hey, you who are watching on the internet, who thinks that the roof will cave in, we've got insurance. We want a new roof anyway. We don't. I made that up. Good. Isn't God good? This is my prayer. I read Psalm 86 this week. This is my prayer for us. Teach us your ways, O Lord, that we may live according to your truth. Grant us purity of heart that we may honor you. You are loving people by nature. Your mama taught you that, and your grandma taught you that. It goes back to the 18 and 1700s when people were traveling through Texas looking for a place to live, and so you were hospitable. You're a hospitable group of people. Now love them to Jesus. And if you find yourself where your vats of wine are empty, metaphorically speaking, Take them to Jesus like Mary did. You may think you know what the answer needs to be. I assure you, you don't. And when the time comes, he will turn water to wine, and it will be the best wine you've ever tasted. And it will never be the same. The people around you will stand in awe of your Lord. Because my brothers and sisters, according to Ephesians, we are here to be trophies of God's grace. Not to fix America or save it from socialism or Trump. We're to make sure that Angelina County is a nice place to live. We are here to tell people about Jesus. And it starts with our people. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I wonder how many of you are here, and I'm not going to ask you to walk up, so you don't freak out. Maybe your vats of wine are empty and you have a problem and you're just scared. If that's where you're at this morning, we just look up at me for a second? Nobody's looking at you. Just look up at me for a second. Your vats are empty and you're scared. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. There's a lot of you looking up. Everybody else, keep your head down. It's okay. Pray for them. Would you pray for those people? God knows who they are. Pray for those people. Dear Jesus, turn their water to wine. Let them see your glory so they believe. For those who are watching online or in this room who do not know you as their Savior and are questioning, may today be the day of their salvation. And for the rest of us right now who, who are focused and following, May we proclaim the excellencies of you because we love the people we're, we're living around.
Give us the courage to befriend the sinner. Give us the courage to face our fears through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. In your holy name we pray, amen. Another miracle took place today. I stopped at 5 to 11. Bible studies, Bible studies is going to start in 10 minutes. <laughs>